Let's honor Christ by taking his word and turning to 1 Peter. Back in September of 2015, we began this series. We took a break over Advents, and now we're going to re-engage. So it's 1 Peter chapter 3. Began this series talking about Peter's main purpose is to give hope. Hope in the midst of suffering. And Peter states pretty clear that it's not if we experience suffering, but we will experience suffering. And he began with five essential truths I want to remind us of. The first was that we have to have a high view of God. Number two, a humble view of ourselves. And that kind of goes hand in hand, doesn't it? If we exalt God to where he ought to be, then we are placed where we ought to be, and that's humility. Three, that life exists to bring glory to God. That's our purpose. Four, suffering has a variety of purposes. In the midst of this life, we will experience suffering, and there's a variety of purposes for that. And then finally, number five, that God will use suffering to advance his kingdom. And that's why he calls us living hope. What defines us is Christ. Not our experiences. And we're called to live this reality out in our world. And he talks about witnesses all around us that have been there, done that kind of deal. And he says we are called to be a community of hope. We are called to love. We are called to grow. We are, and he calls us sojourners, that this world is not our home. So if you feel out of place, that's because we are out of place. We were not designed for sin. We were not designed to live amongst evil, and someday he's going to make all this right. And then he really meddles. He starts talking about our marriages. Now, here it is, 2016. And that's a short version of everything we talked about this past fall. But here it is, 2016, and what do a lot of people do at the new year? They make resolutions. The most popular have to do with weight loss and joining fitness centers. Rather than talk about what we're going to stop doing, why don't we talk about what we're going to start doing? Jonathan Edwards, an 18th century preacher, actually penned out 70 resolutions according to faith that he was going to follow. Just not one, but 70 Listen to how this started. And I like this opening line. I'm not going to read all 70. He said, I'm resolved that I will do whatever I think to be most to God's glory. He was putting this intentionality in setting forth faith strategies as to where he sensed God was going to take him and what would give God the glory most in his life. Think about that. Now, I'm called your pastor. Thank you, Kenny. There's one that appreciates that. There we go. Now, technically, Christ is our pastor. Amen? I mean, he's the good shepherd. He is the water, the bread, He is the light of this world. 
and we follow him. Now, one of my critical jobs, and maybe you don't think about this, one of my critical jobs as your pastor is to prepare you for suffering. That's what Peter writes. It is not my job to coddle you or promise you that if you follow Jesus, when storms come, the tornado will miss your house and hit your neighbor's house who doesn't go to church. Following Jesus does not give you a pass on life. So what does it mean to be the body of Christ? We took communion this morning. Remembering is just not an event, but communion really calls for a transformation inside of us. It calls for a transformation around us. When we remember what Christ has done, he is calling forward a movement and a legacy. So what value do you place on Christ this morning? Isaiah wrote these words a long time ago. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah speaks of the worth of Jesus. And our perspectives on life change depending upon the value you and I place on Jesus. So I ask you the question this morning, what value do you place on Jesus? Two fascinating stories in Matthew 26. They're side by side. The first one is about a woman who spent an entire year's salary on a single act of worship. Think about what you make in a year. And then think about spending all that this morning as an act of worship. What the disciples do? They do what most of us do. They critiqued. And of course, they were appalled at the misuse of this money. And Jesus, having those keen sense of hearing that he does, overheard them doing this little debate, and he turns and looks at them, and I'll still, I, I can't get out of my head the words that he says. He looks at them and says, listen, guys, she has done a beautiful thing to me. She placed a very, very high value on Jesus. Next verse, new story. Judas. We see him selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That's equivalent to about $1,000 today. What value did he place on Jesus? See, the value we place on Jesus and starting points are crucial. And the way I want to start this morning, I usually do this at the end, but I'm going to start here this morning. Until we start with Jesus, until we place a high value on who he is, until we embrace him and bring him into our lives, and there's a lot of different language you use for this, accepting Christ as our personal Savior, making him Lord of all, he's the Savior. Until we make that commitment, until we place that high value, nothing else matters. So, I want to begin this morning by asking if there's anybody here who has not placed a high value on Jesus but needs to start with him in a personal relationship. You haven't done that or you did it back when you were a kid and you walked away a long, long time ago, but you need to do that this morning. If you're here this morning 
and need to make that commitment, I want you to stand up, and we're going to take care of business. Okay, there's one. Anyone else? There's two. There's three. Okay. Uh, some of the guys from Discovery Recovery, Greg, a few others, I'm going to ask you to go with them because they're going to sit down and talk to you in a way, and we're going to get this right. So back here, you see, I see Greg, and I can't, the lights are in my eyes. Just wave. Okay, good. Okay, James, I think you can help. Okay, why don't we give a round of applause for what Christ is going to do in their life. There's four. And I can't think of a better way to honor Walt and Ruthie by having that kind of decision made. So there's four this morning that need to make that a value. Now, the rest of us, I'm not going to assume that we all know Christ. But for those of us that know him, we need to, in 2016, be intentional about keeping a very high value on Christ. Amen? And this is where we begin in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. Paul writes in verse 8, and he's describing to us actions that make us a community of believers. And what fascinates me is what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, stop, 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 stop. (laughs) No, he says, do, 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 do. Verse 8, finally, all of you have unity of mind. Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Finally, he says, all of you, finally, sum it all up, everything I've talked about, all this hope in the midst of suffering, if you're going to get it right, you have to do it within the body of Christ. And of course, he says all, which means there's no exceptions, there's not Anyone allowed to say, well, listen, this doesn't apply to me because, you know, I'm really having a difficult time and he's going to let me sit this one out. No, nobody sits out the body of Christ. Just see the five things. This is a real easy sermon. Unity of mind. You've heard me say this before, unity in the midst of diversity. And what we're talking about here is cooperation towards the mission, even though we all are very different. Why? Because we all love Jesus. And our unity comes from the mission. Diversity comes with the what and the how. It's how we do this. It's what we do. And whatever methods we seek to use, the unity comes from seeking to honor and glorify Christ. It's seeking to advance his kingdom. It's seeking to build the church, creating healthy followers of Jesus. It's seeking that everyone here has value. Nobody can sit this one out. You can't sit there and say, well, you know, I got to get better first before I can serve. No. You can't sit there and say, well, you know, I've already served and and I'm just kind of waiting until Jesus comes back again. No. If you're alive and if you're breathing, if you don't know, ask the person next to you. God has a purpose for you in this world. So it's unity of mind. That's the first characteristic of being a community of believers. Secondly, he talks about sympathy. Sympathy is feeling empathy for the needs of others. And again, here's where diversity of unity comes into play. Think about the needs in our world. 
There's the homeless. There's the orphans, the widows, the jobless, those in prison, those in hospitals, those with addictions, those with same-sex desires, refugees, disabled. I could keep the list going, 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 going. And guess what? No one person can have sympathy or empathy for every single one of those cases. Now, I don't know if you thought about this, but all that sympathy in your heart got us placed for very specific reasons. And it's not so everybody else can have the same sympathy you have. It's because God has called you to have sympathy in terms of those specific needs. But here's the challenge. The challenge is we cannot allow our hearts to grow cold. See, our hearts grow cold two ways. One is through a lack of service. We don't feel like we can contribute anymore. And two is we become detached and isolated. When those two things happen, when we stop serving and we detach and isolate ourselves, then we fall into this consumeristic pursuit of life. What can I get out of it? And if I can't get this out of it, then I'm going to go somewhere and find out where I can get this. Three, brotherly love. Let me state this another way. We treat each other as family. Now, let's talk about family for a moment. How many people have messy families? Almost everybody raised their hands. Why? Well, it's because we know each other. We know the strengths. We know the weaknesses. We know the good, the bad, the ugly. I mean, we know everything about these people. And he says, you know what? You're going to be a family, and it's going to get messy. Do you realize you can't undo your family? I mean, legally, maybe you can disown them, but still your family, your brothers and sisters, no matter what you do. So in the body of Christ, he says, listen, you know, sometimes you're going to have to forbear with one another. The word forbear means to put up, to grit the teeth and say, okay, I, I, I got to love this person. I don't have to like them, but I got to love them. Now, you notice we're not called to fix, but we're called to love. So it's unity of mind, it's sympathy, it's brotherly love, it's a tender heart. That's the fourth. Again, he calls for sensitivity and compassion. And what this idea means is that we cannot allow our circumstances to so consume us that we no longer feel for other people. And when I think about this in the midst of what Peter's calling them, because that's tough to be in the midst of persecution. It's tough to not know where you're going to sleep. It's tough to get fired because you're a Christian. It's tough to not know whether or not you're going to wake up that morning, be tortured, or be killed. I mean, it's survival. And Peter says, even when you're in that survival mode, even when you don't know what's going to happen in the next hour, I want you still to be tenderhearted to each other. And then he concludes it with being a, having a humble mind. Now, the word humble here is, is kind of unique. It means to be, cons- to, be cons- to be courteous. And it relates back to Philippians 2, where Paul says, don't think only of yourselves, but also think about other people. See, humility puts others ahead of themselves. That's what this concept means. And then Peter goes on to give some specifics about how this looks. There's these five concepts, 
But he says, okay, let's get practical. Verse 9, don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. The word reviling is a word for insult. On the contrary, bless. So the practicality is that we're called to what? Bless. Regardless of what's happening towards us, if someone seeks our harm, if someone seeks evil on us, if somebody insults us, if somebody lies about us, if somebody takes us out and they wish us bad things, our response is always the same. We're called to bless. For this, to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And what he's saying there is this. Do you realize if you want to feel like you're blessed, what do you do? You live it. Because you feel what you live. So if you want to feel like you're blessed, you just go around blessing people all the time. And you will have that feeling. You will understand what Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And of course, we remember the example of Christ. I'm just going to read this very quickly. First Peter chapter 2, we've looked at these verses before, but think about what Peter is saying in the context of being a community of believers. He says, servants, be subject to your masters. First of all, we want to sit there and say, wait a minute, that's wrong. Nobody should own anybody. But he doesn't address that issue. Here's what he says. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure? In other words, you deserved it, so you got it. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And let's be honest, Christ could have done anything at that moment he wanted because he was God. <laughs> Talk about restraint. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And then Peter goes on to quote Psalm 34, verses 12 through 15. And what's interesting about this psalm is it's a psalm about fears, about troubles, about afflictions, about broken hearts. But listen to how this psalmist begins. In Psalm 34, this isn't the quote, but in the first three verses, we hear these words. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes it boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And then he goes on to quote the other part of the psalm. He writes, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. You know, we used to sing this little song as kids, so be careful little what you say. That's kind of a nice way of saying this. 
Let him turn away from evil, do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And you have to understand what he's saying here because he doesn't turn away from us. It's that we've turned away from him. I mean, only when we come face to face with Jesus is his face in front of us. But when we turn aside to do evil, when we turn aside to do things we shouldn't be doing, we turn our back on him. And that's what he's really speaking about. So here's what he says. Choose to love life. Choose to control your tongue. Choose to hate evil and do good. Choose to pursue, pursue peace. And again, it doesn't mean peace at any price. If somebody comes along and asks us to renounce Christ so that we can live at peace with them, we say what? No. And so if they choose to take our life or they choose to torture us, if they choose to do violence to us and not be at peace, that's their choice, not ours. I was reading this past week some of the reports that are coming out of the Middle East. And I like the way that one person started. He said, you know, we talk about radicalized Muslims today. And he says, when you have a radicalized Muslim, they are committed to jihad, to anyone who doesn't believe like them, which means they will do violence when they're radicalized. He says, when a Christian's radicalized, they give up their life, they move overseas or move into the communities, and they seek to do good for the rest of their lives. Because that's the main difference. So I hope that we're all radicalized this morning. I hope that we are called to do good in the midst of evil. But when I hear these reports about torture, when I hear the reports about death, when I hear reports about what's happening in Christians around the world, I have to reflect on American Christians. And I've come to this conclusion that we are wimps. We don't know how to live in the midst of suffering. Now, I'm not making light of the suffering we go through because there's a lot that we suffer in and at our own hands. And that doesn't negate the depth of that suffering. But we need to be the living hope. So this passage really is talking about responsibility. We take responsibility... And it's great to have this as your New Year's revolution, resolution, to have a unity of mind, to have sympathy, to have brother to love, live as family, as messy as that gets, to have tender hearts, to have humble minds. You've heard me say many times, and we're going to close this service by doing a prayer together. And at the end of the prayer, we're going to dismiss, and I want to remind you that back in the gymnasium, you can go and... You can express your appreciation to Pastor Walt and Ruthie. They're going to go back there. And, um, in fact, why don't you guys start going back there right now, uh, Walt and Ruthie? That way you can get a head start, and when people come rushing, uh, we can go there. You heard me say that a friend of mine challenged me that you wake up every morning and ask God, who can I bless today? I mean, think about starting your day that way. How cool is that? Think about starting your day with this kind of prayer. And as we pray this together, think of the opportunities together. So if we can have this on the screen, the morning prayer. I think it's the very end of the slides. There it is. We're going to stand together and we're going to pray this. 
And when we dismiss, we can all go back and have some light refreshments and celebrate with Pastor Walt and Ruth. Pay attention to these words. By the way, this prayer was written by an individual who was at a very, very dark and low time. It wasn't when he was kind of way up here. He said, listen, I need to focus every single morning because my world is absolute chaos and death. And so he penned these words so he could keep a focus every single morning. Let's pray together. Good morning, Father. Thank you for the blessing of this day and for the opportunity to serve you. I offer up to you all my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings to be united with those of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for the purpose of building your kingdom. Father, enlighten my heart and mind with your truth. Set them ablaze in your love so that I may be a blessing to others this day. Please open my eyes to see you at work in my life. Open my ears to hear your voice and open my heart so that I may do your will this day and all the days of my life. Lord Jesus, I invite you to live in me, through me, and with me this day. Holy Spirit, please light our path. Father, join with us in this great adventure to which you created me for. I pray this in the name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Go with God's grace. May God bless you this year.